Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Danielle. I wanted to have been following you on Instagram for a while and I love your Instagram. I wanted to sort of talk because I like, I think a lot of other people, maybe especially women, although I don't know if I should make that assumption, I'm feeling this mixed bag of, as we start to sort of think about post-pandemic life, this mixed bag of, I can't wait to get back to everything but I'm also petrified to get back to everything. Um, and the pandemic has been a really nice pause for so many of us and, and sort of to realign and realize how much we have been overscheduled, how much we've been drained energy wise. And mm-hmm. we sort of got to stop and reflect on all of that. And you, specialize in making sure that we are being our, tell me if I'm incorrect at at any point, Mm -hmm. being our best selves and getting what we want and making sure that we're not living in this mode of kind of living for other people, being a people pleaser and, um, you know, and uh, basically putting our own needs last. So can you yeah, talk that's a little bit about baggage reclaim and what you do? Um... Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You are spot on that it's very much about becoming more of who you really are and enjoying more mutually fulfilling relationships. And the route to that is owning our needs and taking care of ourselves and living by our values as opposed to making our existence about everybody else. And it's interesting what you described there, because I definitely have recognized that feeling, you know, that sense of, ooh, like, I want my, my, my post-pandemic life, you know, I want to be out of lockdown and, you know, social distancing and all of these various different rules and regulations. But what was an interesting revelation for me was that after the first lockdown that we had here in England, um, I would then receive invitations to do things. You know, I would get like texts going, oh my gosh, like let's get a date in a diary to meet up. And all of a sudden I went from having basically all of my time really to myself. I had nowhere to go, nowhere to be, unless you can't supermarket, walk the dog, you know, you know, walk or get some form of exercise. That was basically all you could do. And all of a sudden people were like, oh, let's do this, let's do this. And I found myself being a bit like, 
ooh, I don't know if I want to do all of these things because suddenly it felt like my time wasn't my own anymore. And I think particularly for women, we have borne the brunt of the pandemic. Like when you think about like who has childcare generally fallen to, you know, the the housework. If, if you're trying to juggle, for instance, your work plus home plus pets plus childcare plus women, it's tended to be us. We're also the ones who've lost the most amount of jobs in the pandemic, no matter what country you're in. So yeah, there is this sort of sense of, yeah, I do want to get back to whatever back is. And at the same time, being forced to slow down has made us take a closer look at how we spend what I call our bandwidth. So our time, our energy, our effort and emotions, where are we spend in this? And are we spending it where we want to spend it? Is, is where we spend it really reflective of who we are? And I think that that is a thread really through all of my work on baggage reclaim, which is really about helping people to shed the emotional baggage that creates habits that hold us back from being our best selves. That emotional baggage causes emotional unavailability. It causes us to people please, to engage in perfectionism, overgiving, over responsibility, overthinking. And that just creeps its way into the unhealthy relationships, the unfilling relationships, the frustrating careers, the feeling like you're in these sort of imbalanced relationships. I'm not just romantic. I mean, it's funny, a lot of people would have initially found baggage reclaim because of romantic relationships, but I hear from people just as much about work and friendships and family as I do about romantic relationships. But it's really about if every single human is carrying emotional baggage, and we all are, and we continue to accumulate it all the way through life, how is that baggage showing up and what can we let go of? Because we can't take it all with us where we want to go. Mm -hmm. So as we're heading back into these, into our old lives, sort of, right, stepping back in, I think that we have a time to sort of start fresh. Yes. And to, um, if we, from the, from the get-go, and we still have, I think, unfortunately or fortunately, some time to prepare ourselves, you know, the vaccine is out there, but it's going to take time and mm -hmm. you know, getting back to normal life. So if we can sort of teach ourselves now how to set ourselves up that for now, as opposed to before, we're going to start to put ourselves first. Yeah. And I think that we, we, we're sort of given this gift of a reset, a restart. Yes. Um, and so what does it mean to be a people pleaser? Because I know a lot of us, we have a lot of trouble saying no at work mm -hmm. to our families, you know, to our spouses, families, to our friends. Um, what does that mean? And why do we do that? Well, uh, people pleasing is when we put our uh, put other people's needs, desires, expectations, feelings, and opinions ahead of our own, so that we can gain attention, affection, approval, love, and validation, or so that we can avoid conflict, criticism, stress, disappointment, loss, rejection, or what some of us might call abandonment. Now, the thing about people pleasing is that it's often out of view because we call it being nice and kind and generous and conscientious and giving and a hard worker and a, and you know just a lover of the people and all of these things and what happens with people pleasing is that we're we're doing 
a lot of the time, what are often good things, but for the wrong reasons. It's the why behind what we do that makes it people pleasing. And so somebody else would, for instance, do things for their family or friends or to whatever to, to, to help out, to be supportive. But they're doing that from a place of knowing who they are and what they can and can't do. And so they know where they can say yes and they know where they can say no. They're doing it because they want to, not because they feel obliged, not because they feel afraid, not because actually they're hoping that if I do all of these things, then somebody else is going to do something for them so that they can finally feel good themselves. And so with people pleasing, I often say it's like creating a debt and expecting other people to pay it off. So we go around doing these things that are often out of our awareness because if you're anything like me, the people pleasing is as natural as breathing because you've been doing it since you were a kid. And so you go around, you go around doing this stuff and on some level you do want a reward. So there is something that you want to get back. You, 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 you do, you want the affection, the attention, the approval, the something. And you always know that people pleasing was around when things don't go the way you wanted them to go, the way you hoped they would go, the way you think they should have gone. And in your mind or possibly out loud, you're like, uh, after everything I did for them, or it's like, I put up with so much, like how could they not, whatever it is. Or it's like uh, that sense of, and it's always the guilt and the resentment and the sense of obligation. Those three things always tell you that there's a people pleasing element to things because when we do things from this sort of autonomous, conscientious consenting place, we do not have the whole, I have to do this. So a lot of the time with people pleasers, it's like, did you do that thing? Cause you wanted to do it. Or did you do it because you were afraid of what would happen if you didn't? And if it's the latter, it's people pleasing. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting what you said about, we, it's, we've sort of been manipulated into thinking, oh, you know, if we do for others, even if it's not good for us, then we're better people or we're generous. Mm -hmm. or we're, but it's so interesting what you say, because a lot of times we're ending up totally drained Yes. for other people and at the end of the day we come home and we're screaming at our kids because we did too much during the day or so people are winding up getting uh, yes yeah so I feel like you know during the day when we're at work or at social functions or PTA meetings or whatever and we're drained and then at the end of the day we come home and we're so exhausted that the people who are really at our core that we really need to be there for we're depleted yeah, and, and you're speaking stone cold facts there because what can happen is we can really struggle to say no. And so we say yes to stuff, not because we want to, not because we need to, but because, you know, the fear, the thinking, okay, what it will lead to whatever and whatever. So we might struggle to say no, for instance, at work. And obviously, depending on what type of work we're doing and how many hours we do, we can spend a significant chunk of our lives at work. And then next thing you know, we're way over our bandwidth because of all of the saying yes to things that we really do not need or want to say yes to. And so that takes a toll on how much time we have and we feel low on energy 
and we struggle to do the things that we actually need or want to do um, and we're feeling resentful and frustrated and because we don't know how to say no in those areas we come home and we scream at the kids the moment that they put a foot out of place and we see the things are untidy all of the frustration all of the no that we do not get to express during work or whatever it is comes out in some other ways and so what I often find myself saying to people is do you really think it makes sense to continue on with this situation as is and you're basically almost having to self-medicate to get through the week to to deal with whatever this personal situation is and then you come home and all the stuff that's all the pent-up frustration you're actually taking it out on your loved ones the, the relationships that you value, you're missing out on things that you actually want to do because you don't have the time, the energy, the bandwidth, basically, to, for your passions and interests. Wouldn't it be better to let go of the things that aren't serving you or say no where you need to so that actually you could have the space to enjoy your intimate relationships, to take care of yourself, to do the things that you actually need to do? Because if the, the trap that we fall into as humans is for some reason we seem to think that we can just say yes indiscriminately especially to stuff that really is toxic to our life and that somehow we're also supposed to get exactly what we want as well to have the room for that that just doesn't go together mm-hmm. so I know everyone's thinking as am I okay so how do I do it <laughs> How do I say no? Because I love that idea. And I know that there are certain people in my life who I feel like if I'm going to keep them in my life, I have to say yes to certain things. Um, And I felt like that. I think a lot of people feel like that, you know, when you're newly married, you feel like that to your in-laws or um, when you're at work, you feel like that to your boss. Like you don't want to lose that person and you don't want them to look at you in a negative light. You want to, like we said before, be the good person, the hard worker, the generous, the kind. And we think if we say no, that's going to be gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a sense of wanting. Yeah. We we have this sense of wanting to keep that this image, I guess, that we feel that we have, you know, we want to be the good, the kind, the reliable, the loving person. And what's happened is as a society, we've absorbed these these messages that yes is good and no is wrong. And so if you say no, no is going to hurt people's feelings. No does not hurt people's feelings. What hurts people's feelings, actually, if any feelings are going to get hurt, is the dynamic, the boundaries. Because if somebody has a problem with receiving no, first of all, baggage alert. And uh, second of all, that discomfort that they have around that no if it actually exists because people pleasers do exaggerate how much problems will result from no but if it does exist that reflects the dynamic of the relationship it reflects the boundaries whatever level they're at not actually that no is wrong no is just no and yes is just yes saying yes to stuff that isn't right for us that sometimes misleads people because people pleasing you know it's like telling people what we think they want to hear And actually, people would prefer to know where they stand. They would prefer honesty. They would prefer intimacy over resentment, over guilt, over dishonesty. And so what we have to, first of all, recognize is that yes and no work in tandem together. When we say yes to something, it means we're also saying no 
to other things. So let's not fool ourselves <laughs> that, you know, no doesn't exist in our life. Like if I, if I say yes to, to a particular thing, that means that by extension of that, I'm potentially ruling out other things. Like if I say yes to being in a loving relationship, I clearly cannot be saying yes to, for instance, something that's toxic, you know, or unhealthy. But on the flip side, when we say no, we're also saying yes to other things. So it's really like, I, I describe it like the way the heart and the lungs work together, you know, pumping oxygen rich blood around our body. And so you don't just want to use one, you want to use both for the two of them really to be functioning, right? For your life to be working. And so too much yes is as much of a problem as it would be if there was like a hell of a lot of no and not very much yes going on. Because of course, if we said no to everything, then we would also be just as much saying no to things that we actually do want and need. So it's it's finding that balance. And one of the things that I encourage people to do is find out what their own version of people pleasing looks like, because it shows up in different ways for people. And the best way to do that is spend a week observing what you spend your yes, no, and maybe on. The average people pleaser has a hell of a lot of yes, maybe a little bit of no, possibly some maybe in there, but there's a distinct imbalance between, between the yes and no. And it's really noticing, when, like, who is it that when you see their name flash up on your phone, or you see them in your inbox where you get that sensation in your stomach or you're almost like, oh, God, like you almost don't want to open the text. Or you see their name come up on your phone and you're just like, I'm just going to let that one go to voicemail <laughs> type of thing. Because I don't want to deal with the expectations, with whatever need we think that they have of us. Like, who is that? Who is it as well that takes liberties? So they're always, whenever, we, whenever we're dealing with them, it's, they're like, they need a favor. They want something of us, you know, often at work, when we're, when we're a people pleaser, we're often the person, the go-to person that if there's a crisis, if something needs to be palmed off, you know, if somebody's running behind on something and needs them, we'll be the first person that they will think of for that. So it's like, I call that like your people pleasing entourage, like who's in that entourage, who's benefiting from you not saying no. And look around in your life, like notice where is anxiety showing up? Notice where, even if you don't call it resentment, where when somebody asks you to do something or after you've agreed to it, or even if, you, if there hasn't been a specific request, but you're doing it, where you're just like, you're just fuming inside or you're feeling like really like sort of irritable and frustrated. Why, why am I always the one who da, 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 da. Notice those kind of thoughts. Where are those thoughts coming up? Where are you being really self-critical? All of those things point to there's some sort of form of people pleasing going on. Also notice like, what's the stuff that you're doing in your week where it's like, I have to do that thing. Like, it's funny, I was talking with somebody a couple of days ago and we were saying about how some with people pleasing, so much of it has been automatic that it's over time, the recovering people please a bit is just noticing where it shows up. And so I noticed over the years of being, you know, self-employed, mother, you know, wife, that um, you, you, I would go, I have my plans for the day and then it can be just so easy. I'm sure you can identify with this to get distracted by the minutiae. So next thing you know, instead of doing the work, you're putting on a load of laundry, you're sorting out the dishwasher, you're 
doing an ad hoc grocery thing instead of the thing that you actually truly need to do. And so I think it was last week I was in the kitchen and I was going to make a cup of tea. And sometimes what I do is I'm like, well, I'll put the kettle on while the kettle's boiling and then I'm waiting for the tea bag to stew. I can, for instance, quickly stick some stuff in the dishwasher or clean up whatever that thing was. But I go in to put on the kettle and it's like a bomb has hit the kitchen because my husband is a fantastic cook, but he's like, he's a messy cook. So he had obviously made some mess and then the kids had not, I don't know, for some reason they had not loaded the dishwasher or unloaded it or whatever. And I felt myself kind of going into that mode of, okay, let me just like tidy this up or whatever. And then I went, no, I'm just gonna stand here, wait for the kettle to boil, make my tea, and go and do the work that I need to do. Because I knew that it, I would take it upon myself and I probably would be fine with it. But then I would be annoyed with myself later on in the day when I don't have enough time to do whatever it is I'm supposed to have done. Do you know what? The sky did not fall down. The world will not collapse if you don't do all the things. Like I realized I was in danger of, I'm gonna die. And my gravestone will say something like, here lies Natalie Lou. She always wanted to do these wonderful things, but she never did quite get through the to-do list at home. She never did manage to do all the things that she thought everybody expected of her. And I don't want to live my life that way. And I really encourage people to take a look at what are these pretend obligations that you have? Where do you just automatically assume that something is your responsibility? Where do you almost automatically say yes without even pausing to draw breath and consider Do I have time? Do I actually want or need to? Am I the only person that could do this? Could somebody else do it? Like, where can you pause and just take some time to think? Because if you automatically say yes, or you say yes without barely like giving it a thought, people pleasing all the way. You might think it's just because that's just who you are. No, people pleasing is just like a mask. It's a costume. It's an identity, but it's not actually who you are. I think as well, like you were saying about what else can we do, is really notice that very, very distinct difference between desire and obligation. Like, is this something that you want to do or is this something that you feel obliged to do? And sometimes you don't necessarily go, I feel obliged to do this, but you know where obligation crops up, where it's like you feel afraid that if you don't say yes, that it's going to turn into some sort of problem for you. So is it a desire or is it obligation or fear? Because if you notice that it's not desire, and we all know what it feels like when we want to do something, like I encourage anybody, think about something you've really wanted to do. That feeling is very different to the feeling you have when you feel like something's been imposed on you that it's being dumped on you, that you're just doing it because like you're the grunt work, you know, the muggins, the person who just takes on stuff. And I'm not saying, you know, and I and I say this often, you know, Marie Forleo is known for that saying, if it's not a hell yeah, then it's a hell no. But not everything can be a hell yeah. That's not how life works. I mean, it would be amazing if it was like, well, it's hell yeah, well, hell no, and we're out. But some things are just a moderate yes. But the thing is, if we don't notice the difference between these feelings, we won't notice when we're doing stuff for the wrong reasons. So really pay attention. Is it desire or is it obligation or fear? And if it's the latter two, if you can't turn it into a desire, you need to say no. If you can't turn around and be like, I'm going to make this an autonomous choice. I'm not going to do this from a place of compliance, from an obligation. I'm choosing to do this. I want to do it. If you can't do that, 
you either need to say no or you need to be honest with the person and say, this feels like it's an obligation. It feels like if I don't do this, that there's going to be a problem. The person may actually well turn around and go, uh, no, you just, if you can't do it, you can't do it. Right. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I mean, I have so many things I want to ask you about all that. (laughs) (laughs) The first thing I want to ask you is, okay, my... My first thing is that if I say no to somebody and I really don't want to do it, first of all, I say yes to things. And then nine times out of 10, no joke, I wind up canceling right before it happens anyway. So I feel like people get more pissed off at that than if you said no in the first place. So that's one of the things that I want to start saying no, because I know that people get angry at me. I am known for canceling. And it's Uh. because I don't want to say no to begin with so I say yes and then it's staring me in the face I put it on the calendar and I'm like counting down the days of doom until I have to actually do it and not and the whole time I'm thinking how do I cancel what do I say so so that's the first thing is that I I just you know I know that saying yes to me doesn't always mean yes it means yes in the moment because I don't want to deal with it but the second thing is when I say no um, about something that I don't want to do Oftentimes, it, it involves an elaborate concoction <laughs> of a story to do it. I never just say, no, I can't. I can't fit it on my plate right now. It's no, you know, my kid is, you know, getting their tonsils out that day or some kind of story that, you know, God forbid they check and they ask somebody, I'm going to be caught in a lie because it's just so much easier to say that. Uh, so what are the, so how do we say no without all that stuff, without all that I need to lie or, you know, uh, uh, come up with some kind of story, just a flat out no. Honestly, like part of me actually wanted to do like a testify dance as you were talking, because you have just described the life of many a people pleaser. And here's the thing you I suspect pride yourself on being reliable, on, you know, being a doer, on being consistent, and you you probably value honesty and integrity in all of these things. But what's happening here is that you tell people what they want to hear. And that ends up undermining your own sense of integrity. So what you want to do is you want to relieve the tension that you feel in that moment. like, it's like when a need appears or a request, so somebody asks you something, you wanna make them feel good in that moment and tell them yes. But you also wanna make yourself feel good in that moment and look a particular way. So you also say yes. But afterwards, what happens? You then end up doing what so many people pleasers do. So you overcommit. You don't really think about the thing that you've gone and said yes to. Then literally, probably about 30 seconds after the person has moved away from you, possibly as the person 
is like there in front of you and you've already gone and said yes in the back of your mind you're going oh my god i can't believe i just done a man said how am i gonna go am i gonna get out of this that is the life of a people pleaser and what can happen is as the the hours the days weeks however long it is creep up even if even if we try to call it something else we're now trying to construct the great big saga about how to get out of this thing and People pleasers then fall into one of two traps, which is the trap that you've fallen into, which is you go and say yes, and then you go back and say no, like you cancel out on the thing. Mm -hmm. And what some people do is they find themselves in exactly the same scenario as you, but they get themselves into such a tizzy about now having to cancel and they leave it up until the last minute that they then feel that they have no choice but to go ahead and do the thing that they absolutely do not want to do, that's probably kept them awake, made them have an upset stomach, anxiety, they're gritting their teeth in frustration, they probably feel resentful. And you know what else they do? I mustn't forget this. It's the hinge dropping. So you turn around and you say yes. And then in the run up to it, some people will be like, oh gosh, you know, I've just got so much on of late. And oh, like, I've just been so tired and and what they really want the person to do is pick up on this and go, oh, you know that thing that you turn around and you suggest it? It's okay. You don't have to do it. So, and if the person doesn't turn around and do that, they're like, oh, for gosh sake, I still have to go ahead and do this thing. So the thing that I encourage you to do is one, you have to think about like, who, who is the person you, you actually are and want to be? Because you clearly are not a flake. You're not a flake and you're not a liar but your people pleasing does make you into one sometimes and that's the thing that that people pleasers really have the shock of is realizing oh my gosh i tell a lot of lies like and it's not and i know it's not about good lies bad lies but it's not like we're telling lies to pull off some great big con it's all about trying to make the people feel good so that we don't feel uncomfortable people don't need us to do that for them right they don't and so what's happening is like for instance and i i i say this often but it's 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 so absurd but for two years I lied about what my favorite film was this was like back in the early 2000s I was um I was I was going out and I say that word loosely um with a guy I worked with who also had a girlfriend and his favorite film was City of God it's like that it's that Brazilian um film about uh I can't remember where it is in Brazil but it's it's really really good and these kids are like turned into like mini soldiers the film is good okay like, don't get me wrong it's a very good film I'm honestly I don't even think it would be in my top 50 of films <laughs> right but for two years I was like my favorite film is City of God here's the truth my favorite film then and now joint are Ghost and Coming to America they are not subtitled, you know, they're not these like sort of foreign film, like subtitled, it's so fancy, but I ain't going to lie. Those are my favorite films. But yeah, for two years. films, by the way. Uh, yeah, they're genius. I've watched them many times. I still cry at Ghost every time. And my husband's looking at me like, what the hell are you crying for? You've seen this film like a trillion times. But I lied about that. And I would often lie about things that I would like and claim I had hobbies and interests that I didn't. Now I wouldn't do those things. But that's what people pleasing does. Person says, where do you want to eat tonight? Oh, I want to eat wherever you want to eat. You know, oh, okay, let's have Chinese food. Inside you're going, oh my God, like I hate Chinese food or I hate whatever food it is, but you're still sitting there eating it because you don't want to be the person that upsets the person's feelings because you don't like that food. Why would you saying that you don't like a particular type of food hurt that person's feelings? 
And so it's, we have to start getting really honest with ourselves and realize people pleasing, some, sometimes our ego gets in the way. We want to preserve this image of being this good, kind, generous person, make the person feel good. It doesn't make people feel good when you cancel. Right. And so the identity that you end up adopting is not the one that you want. And I think when you recognize that, it suddenly opens up this space to be like, okay, I don't actually want to be the person who cancels, the person who flakes out. So actually what you could benefit from is not saying yes or no immediately. And don't do it in that way where some people do the let me get back to you. And really they already know that it's a no. You could benefit from the power of the pause. You could benefit from saying, okay, thank you for asking. Can I come back to you? Now, if the person turns around and says no, you've already got your out. Because if you don't have the option of taking some time to consider your options, the answer is no. So if they turn around, if you turn around and say that, you then get to check your diary. You get to look at your whole week, the week coming up, where you're spending your time and be like, yes, I want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. I would also look at what do you typically end up canceling on? Because that will give you a clue about where you need to say no. Because if you tend to cancel about the same things and feel anxiety and sort of this, oh gosh, like how am I going to get out of it about the same things? That's your personal encyclopedia telling you, oh, these are the things that if somebody turns around and asks me to do da 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 da, it's very likely that I actually need to say no. And you know what, right? This brings me to the next thing. We do not need to give somebody our life story to say no. We do not need to come up with a justification for saying no and say, well, I didn't have no drawers and my electricity ran out and I didn't have no money and I didn't have no time. And did I tell you about this person that was sick? Da, 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 da. They do not need to know that. In fact, what a lot of people feel when we tell them a big story about it is if they're not shady, so if they're not people who actually want to capitalize on your inability to say no and, and any insecurity and self-doubt, most people feel very uncomfortable and even guilty and a bit icky when you get the big long story because it starts to feel like, oh, like, can't you just like turn around and say no? Like, why are they telling me all of this type of stuff? Have I made them feel bad by asking them to do this thing? Nobody needs to know your life story about saying no. And, I, and this is the difference between hard no's and soft no's. So when I say a hard no, I don't mean that a no is harsh, but it is no, sorry, I can't. I, in fact, I try to leave sorry out of no's as much as possible, but it's like, thank you so much for asking, but I can't. Um, I'm, not, I'm not available that day. I'd love to, but I can't. Don't say you'd love to though, if you wouldn't actually love to, because if you tell people that you'd love to, and you can't do it, they'll be like, oh, okay, well, I'll come back to you um, and ask you again. But it's keeping it brief and to the point. So a hard no typically is one sentence. A soft no is where you give that little bit more detail. And where people get things confused is they, they put in a lot of padding and fluff. It's like, I can't say no just because I want to. There has to be an emergency. There has to be a crisis. I have to be dying. That's why some people literally are praying that they wind up getting sick or that some other emergency comes along so that they finally have the out from something that they've already said yes to, which is crazy because you could, we could just say no. And so people don't want to know the life story. Instead of say, keep it to like two, three sentences where it's like you kind of, you put that sort of, I've got whatever it is going on and you then put the no in between that and then it's like, and thank you so much for asking. 
and that's it. Right. Keeping it real simple. Don't put in the over apology. In fact, I really encourage people that unless it's absolutely like necessary, that you don't need to say sorry for saying no. Just say no. Mm-hmm. Does it get easier? Is it like a muscle that we flex? And yes. Get, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because that's the thing is that like, I feel like it, it, it feels hard every time I do it and I do it because I do it so seldom. You know? There you go. There and, you go. And I'm wondering like, once you get into the groove of it and you get better at it, does it get, it gets easier. Yeah, the consistency um, is key because the thing is, if you only say no occasionally, each time you say no, it feels like a nine-one-one situation. Like defibrillator, charge, Armageddon, everything. Like it just feels very, very intense. If you're consistently in the habit of saying no, you're okay. And 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 think about saying no this way: if we don't say yes authentically, we say it resentfully, fearfully, and that leads to far more problems than if we just said yes or if we just said no in the first place and when we look at it this way it's like oh I like if I'm consistently saying yes for the right reasons I will also be saying no when I need to and the consistency is key because otherwise if you're only doing it like I don't know one in a hundred times you gotta really psych yourself up for that it feels intense the thing I encourage people to do as well is we kind of carry on like the sky is gonna fall down if we turn around and say no. What I encourage you to do is say no and then go and open your front door and look outside. Is the world still out there? Is the world still turning? Or has everything blown up and it's covered in ash and dust and like everything's like, you know, gone to pot? Right. Because what we discover is everything is perfectly fine. Now, what we will find, like I found that when I started to say no, that I would almost like be psyching myself up to say the no. And sometimes what I would find was a quite an anticlimax afterwards. Like the, the, the anxiety, the tension that I was feeling in my body wasn't actually because necessarily something terrible had happened, but just because I'd really, really stressed myself to the max about saying no, like I've been through all of this thing. And the thing is, if you are going back and forth about something that, you've agreed to, uh, if you're being self-critical, if you're trying to like get out of it, you know, uh, if you're like just exhausted and all the rest, take these as signs that you don't want to do whatever it is. So, you know, like, let's just imagine, Danielle, that somebody, I don't know, gets in touch with you today and say, Danielle, I've got this great opportunity for you. And, you know, it'd be great exposure, whatever it might be. And you'd be like, and, and they present this, this thing to you, and, you know, it sounds interesting. Maybe they throw a few names at you. So now they present this opportunity. And in your mind, you're going, uh, I mean, I suppose I could do it, but then, oh, I don't know. But then if I don't do it, are people going to think that I am like this kind of person? And maybe they'll be talking about me to other people and be saying like, oh, Danielle, like, did you hear that? She didn't even turn around and say yes to this thing. And you go into this whole thing, halt. If you're thinking in this way, that's telling you that you don't want to do the thing or that you certainly haven't connected with any desire about it because all you're talking about is trying to control other people's opinions of you. I mean, it's a bit like, let's say, a family or your partner has asked you to do something or mentioned something to you. And in your head, you're kind of grumbling and you're like, 
God's sake, like, why do they turn around and ask me this thing? Do they not realize I'm exhausted? Do they not realize I'm a busy mother? Pause. That kind of thinking tells you, I don't want to do this thing. Somebody else needs to do it. Or that you haven't connected with wanting it. Because look, you know, you know, we we both have kids. We both, you know, we both have, you know, our, our partners, husbands, that life is not about all the time wanting to do every last thing. Right. But you, you're you're happy to do things when you're not way over your bandwidth. You have the scope to do things just because your kids have asked you to do it or your husband has asked you to, asked you to do it. But what's interesting is like my husband turn, will turn around to me and he'd be like, no, like I remember asking him, and it must have been, it mustn't have been last year. It must have maybe been the previous year because it would have been offering him to drive into the airport. And he went, no, that's okay. I know like you're more than happy to offer to do it, but I also know that you could end up feeling really, really tired afterwards. And I'm really, really happy to go and, and book a taxi. And I was like, yeah, he's right actually. Like, I'm just kind of like in that mode of, you know, just being the loving wife and all that. But sometimes being a loving wife is staying in your bed while your husband goes and gets his taxi to the airport. Right, right. And I think you, I think you and I are the same age, you're 43? Yes, I'm yeah. 43 also. And one of the things that I think to myself is, when am I going to actually start doing things for me? You know, when, yeah, yeah, you know, like what, I I mean, obviously, you know, I have three kids and I do for them and I have a husband and, but, but when am I going to start putting myself first? And, and I feel like now is a good time to just start fresh, but I want to shift because there's something I really want to talk to you about, which Mm -hmm. is, um, which has a lot to do with self-care and everything, but can you talk to us about unsent letters to yourself? that you, you know, because oh. I, I read about this and um, I know that you say that writing unsent letters to yourself is like the best gift you can, can you can give yourself. Can you talk yeah. about this a little bit? Because I want to do it now. Yeah. So unsent letters is like, it's, it's like, it is a form of journaling and it's using sort of the letter writing process as a way of pulling the stories out of yourself and also writing out your feelings and processing your feelings because we are all carrying around a lot of stories and a lot of feelings attached to these stories. And so it's like a lot of emotional charge around it. Now, what we like to do as humans is in our ideal world, what we'd like to do is get the people that we are mad at and sit them down and tell them all about themselves and have them apologize and all the rest. And so we often avoid doing things like unsent letters. Cause it's like, well, what's the point of writing a letter that I'm not even going to send off to somebody? And you know, t- but actually what happens with unsent letters is it's an opportunity to write out your feelings, write out your story about something. And what can happen is you might write many letters to one particular person. And sometimes actually you might even write to your younger self. And it's really about connecting with what is the story around something? How did that make you feel? What were the things that you came away from? And then it's looking at, wow, like what am I realizing as I'm writing this and writing down your realizations? And as I said, for some people, like for instance, if you've got a lot of hurt around a parent or an ex-partner, it might take you several. I've heard of people writing a hundred unsent letters, but they say that they feel like an entirely different person at the end of this process. In fact, I I remember um, I had my unsent letter process featured in a magazine a couple of years ago and that they then got a letter from somebody who felt traumatized by an experience that they'd had at work. 
And she went through the unsent letter writing process and she said that it helped her to finally process her anger, the trauma that she'd experienced around it. And now she was just so much happier in her new job and able to move forward. And so, yeah, it's this, uh, you can build it into daily life as well, where it's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to write a letter to, you know, all the people who pissed me off, mm-hmm. or I'm going to write a letter to those people at school that I used to hang around with, or I'm actually just going to write a letter to my 25 year old self, because I was really, really hard on that particular self. And we don't have to post letters, like people do not have to read what we have to say. However, what can happen is that through doing the unsent letter writing process, that by doing it enough times, we actually have enough perspective that we can actually sit down and have a conversation with somebody about something because now we've gained the perspective that we need to actually go and have that conversation as opposed to just turning up and dropping a bomb. Right, right. So so when we do it, you you sit down as if you were in a journal and you dear whomever it might be, yeah. write out your feelings. And then you, what do you do? Do you, you keep them in a journal or you just? So what typically I encourage people to get like sheets of paper and just write away on that. Um, I mean, obviously you can keep them in your journal, but sometimes what people find particularly cathartic, especially if there's been a lot of pent up anger and frustration has come out, is to safely, I point out safely, burn them or like, you know, shred them up and and get rid of them. And it's that process, that cleansing of all of that stuff that you've been carrying around because feelings don't die. So we think that we can go through something and then it's like, oh, well, I'm just so busy or I don't want to deal with that. I'll just shove those feelings away. No, they just resurface in what can be some pretty unpleasant ways, like through passive aggression, through, you know, low mood, anxiety, you know, shame, they resurface in those ways. So it's really, really cleansing. It's like it lightens your emotional baggage load. Right. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And I love the idea also of writing to our younger selves and to, you know, cause I was really hard on my younger self. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I, what, I, what uh, there's a, I mean, I'm, I, I can make sure I give you the link for it, but I have an unsent letter guide oh, that, that. that you yeah. can download and it literally takes you through the whole process and gives you prompts and you know how to get started and different ways that you can go about it. Because some people, the, the best way for them is to literally go da, 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 and just launch into whatever anger, you know, whatever feelings that they have. Some people literally starting from the beginning almost like da, 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 da. so and going at the, from the beginning of the story and just writing out the story from beginning to end, going all the way through. And then, you know, noticing what they're feeling along the way and writing that out. Some people prefer that way. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a guide that I have and, you know, it's been downloaded like a crazy number of times now at this point, but it honestly, unsent letters can change your life. You will feel like a different person afterwards. Yeah. It's so interesting because um, I, I feel like when I sit down to write in a journal, I don't know where to start. Because it's just, you know, okay, I'm sitting down to write in a journal and everybody says how great that is. But what am I writing about today? There's a gazillion things on my mind. How am I narrowing it down? So I Mm -hmm. like the idea of the letter because you're picking one person, which will lead you sort of to whatever feelings you have. 
Yes. And I think that's so awesome to narrow that down because I've, I used to keep a journal all the time when my kids were young, but I sort of knew what I was writing about them being little or, mm-hmm. but now if I sit down to write in a journal, it's like, oh my God, okay. Am I writing about my relationship with my husband? Am I writing about, you know, pandemic? Yeah. Am I writing about my anxiety? There's too much. So I love the idea of narrowing it down to a person, which will then sort of lead you on this path of whatever feelings arise. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a I'm a big big proponent of of journaling. Like uh, journaling features pretty much in all of my work. And something actually that can be very very handy and you can do this recovering people pleaser or not, but what I encourage people to do is you know sometimes when you just sort of get that sort of sometimes feeling overwhelmed or frustrated, you just don't know what the hell you're feeling and your mind is all over the place, get like a sheet of paper and literally just write you know sit down and basically sit down and write for a good eight minutes you know keep your hands close to the paper you know just write what it doesn't matter what comes like whatever is in your mind just write it out it might be pure gobbledygook that you're writing down but what you will find is that if you go for a good at least eight minutes or so once you've gone past the first six you're starting to get into the unconscious what's really going on so like I found like sometimes like I will just sit down and and actually sometimes what I started with is what I would like to empty from my solar plexus because we tend to like store our tension around there so I start what I would like to empty from my solar plexus I will write pure rubbish on there but as things start to calm you know and it, it and it won't make any sense but as things start to calm suddenly what's really behind that like I don't know maybe somebody sent me an email like earlier on in the day and and really just kind of pushed my button because I felt like they were over the line whatever it was but now because maybe I've got caught up in my day I forgot about that oh I just remember I don't know my mother said something the day before that I maybe pushed to the back of my mind but all of a sudden it has the space to come up and I feel like okay now I can go about my day so it's like a cleanse and let go like yes journaling you know unsent letters you will never hear me say about like I encourage everybody to do unsent letters but I also think actually just purging so that we can then go about our day and feel more connected to ourselves because honestly how often do we say to ourselves how am I doing today right that's a good place I actually say to people a good way of checking in with your bandwidth is at the beginning and maybe the end of the day look at you know ask yourself how am I doing today you might be surprised at what you hear back because we're so busy right throwing ourselves into so much stuff that we don't pause to actually ask how we are doing and if we did we wouldn't be surprised a few days later when we suddenly explode because we'd know why we were feeling the way that we do so it's like that checkpoint like actually making time for us and checking in yeah, and we're such an unreliable narrator when someone else asks us how we're doing because we're always going to say we're good. So, oh, yeah, I'm fine. You know? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm great. It's good. Everything's yeah. good. Totally. Well, will you tell everybody where to find you to continue? Because, I mean, I could talk to you all day and I hope you'll come back on because I have a thousand more questions for you. Oh, but, I could totally uh, talk to you all day too. Danielle. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Although I feel it's sort of one-sided because I, you are giving me so much insight into everything. I love it. Um, can you tell everybody where to find you about your podcast and if they if they feel like they want to continue on this journey um, of you know of, of stopping being a people pleaser and also 
um, the letter writing and everything? Yeah. So my website is baggagereclaim.com. And there you can find my blog, which I actually pretty much update every day. Yeah, and you are so on top of it. That's amazing. It's I'm basically I'm really like it's because I've been thinking about writing every day for like the longest time. And so I felt like this is the way to exercise that and find out what that means. I love so it. So it's it's yeah, it's been it's been really fun because I had a I have a ton of stuff. And it's like, well, what am I going to do with all this stuff? So, okay, I'm going to write on the blog. Uh, I've got the podcast, the Baggage Reclaim Sessions. And so you that's available on all podcast players. And that's a weekly show, bar when I take my break. And I cover like a broad spectrum of topics, but it, everything is about how do I sort of declutter, you know, process, tidy up my emotional baggage so that I can become more of who I really am and enjoy more fulfilling relationships. And so I would talk about work. I would talk about romantic relationships, friendships, family, how to take care of yourself. Because guess what, Danielle, we are both of an age where we both know we did we were not taught about this stuff. Our kids are taught about this stuff now, a lot of this stuff, you know, at school about feelings and needs and boundaries. We weren't, we didn't even, we were not even allowed to have feelings when we were kids. You right. know, it was all discipline and obedience. So I've got the podcast. I also have like um I do things like short courses about like anxiety and perfectionism, and all of this like is on on um, my website and the I will also make sure that I share with you the link for the the unsent letter guide which you know I'm gonna, I'm gonna I, put that down in my email uh this coming Friday so that people can can amazing it. so if you're if, if you're signed up for our email you'll you'll get the link in in the Friday five yeah and like there's like I've a ton like of resources on there but yeah if you're wanting to like go go deeper like I have this thing called 100 days of a thing an ebook called 100 days of baggage reclaim and that is like dis different little nuggets of insights into basically how to raise your self-esteem and you know live you know a love care trust and respect filled life and it has journaling prompts for each day and you were not the same person you know, a hundred days later as you were at the start of it, because you just know yourself so much more. And of course, as well, it takes off that pressure about journaling because it's just, you're just answering the questions of that. Right. That's great. That's great. I need all these tools. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much for coming on. And it was great to talk to you. And I'm sure we will talk again. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me, Daniel. Thank you. It was awesome.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.